Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan and this is my co-host Gavia. Hello. Today we are discussing the classic animated film Anastasia, which was made in 1997, and tells the story of the Russian princess Anastasia, imagining that she survived her family's assassination and grew up as a poor orphan named Anya. Ten years later, Anastasia's grandmother offers a reward for her return, and two con artists hire Anya to impersonate the lost princess, not realizing that they have actually found the real thing. So Gav recently watched this film for the first time, and I have seen it one million times, but also (laughs) watched it again the other night for the first time in, I believe, 13 years. I think the last time I saw it, I was a freshman in high school. So that was a wild experience. But we come from come to this with differing perspectives. On the yes, film, I, I did say. not have this hardwired into my brain like so many other children of the nineties. Yeah, I missed out. So why don't you start with uh, describing your experience of this movie? Yeah. So I this was one of the movies I watched over the holidays with my family, um, which was very wholesome. Uh, so kind of in quick succession, I saw this and Prince of Egypt for the first time, oh, which was absolutely wonderful. So good. <laughs> so good um and i loved it and i also i feel like the one kind of preconceived notion i had about this is that i knew that everybody had a crush on the main boy yes and i completely understand why and the romance in this movie is sublime um i did not realize it had a supernatural element (laughs) so so when kind of rasputin showed up with like a talking bat and a bunch of undead stuff i was like whoa nelly it's incredible. And I also did not know what the plot of the film was. I just knew that it involved the kind of lost princess Anastasia in some capacities. So I was just like, it was really great for me. It was all new. All I knew was that there was a cute boy with that 90s Leonardo DiCaprio hair. And it was tremendously enjoyable. I had a really positive experience. And I really liked all the outfits. Like, you know, there's so many great Russian robes in this movie. They have the princess wearing like a baggy coat and stuff instead of a ball gown. Just, just great. So I was obsessed with this film as a child. Like, I I truly did see it a million times. We had the (laughs) soundtrack on a CD. So my family did a lot of Disney movies when I was a kid. That was basically all we were allowed to see was Disney. And this was like the perfect time as well, because it came out in 1997 when we were both seven. Yes, exactly. So we watched only Disney movies and then similar films. So this was made by Fox. And then there were a couple made by other, like, DreamWorks started around then and did a couple or like Balto was a favorite of mine. I'm sure some other people listening to this will have had this experience as well. But I didn't I saw like a couple movies with real humans in them before I was 13 or 14. Like it was animated was all my parents let us watch. And so we had a lot of soundtracks of Disney films in our house and there was a lot of like theatrical singing. In I'm my... also getting a new vision of how your brother turned out the way he did. Yes, I have a younger brother who <laughs> which was... Which is a lot of singing. <laughs> theater kid, capital letters. Which I was not at all after the age of 10 or whatever, but as a little kid, like my mom and my brothers and I, like there was a lot of singing along to things and performing. But also this one has 20th century history in it, so it's kind of in your wheelhouse. Right, exactly. Quote, unquote, history. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> um, so I could... I mean, I hadn't seen this movie or probably listened to the soundtrack in at least a decade. And I could probably have sung, which I would not do, but 
all the songs, like, perfectly. I had the sheet music, I think, to, because I played the piano growing up, to at least Once Upon a December, and attempted to play it, because we all sang that song so much. Like, this film, it was big. It was a big thing. And so watching it again was a fucking trip, because I watched it and realized, and I think I had actually clocked this a little bit when I was probably not seven, but maybe a little bit older. The animation is abominable, like to a <laughs> comical degree. This was around when they were first starting to use digital animation in films. And it's very noticeable. And I think even as a little kid, you or at least I could kind of tell. I remember when The Road to El Dorado came out, there was a lot of press around that being... I don't know if that was the first film that was entirely digitally animated. It may have been, but there was some groundbreaking thing with that that I don't quite remember. But this has a lot of really horrible digital animation from 1997 that's, like, also, amazing. It was really interesting to, like, watch this and The Prince of Egypt in really quick succession because they both came out in 1997. And The Prince of Egypt is gorgeous. Yes. It's a beautiful film. And also this movie has like really distinctive, if you know Don Bluth, the director, who is a bit of a weirdo, I believe. He has a very distinctive animation style and that is in this. And also there was some kind of clunky rotoscoping. Yeah. Um, which doesn't really detract from the experience. Like I did not have issues with it, but like it certainly wasn't beautifully animated. It, I must confess, made me insane watching it again i was just like this is so i mean the movie's still wonderful but the animation is so bad like their faces do not move correctly in any way and i was like how did this happen and it's interesting to think about right? i think the faces may have been rotoscoped for at least some of it yeah and that's why yeah obviously in the 90s this was like they literally call it like the disney renaissance disney was making all of these incredible films all of which were incredibly beautifully animated and were making a gazillion dollars and that's why studios like fox made movies like this because they wanted to get in on it and this movie was incredibly successful and all the like women our age who saw it imprinted on it and still love it and it's really good minus the horrible animation but that's because Fox was not an animation studio. We're just like, I guess we have to do this, so uh, hire some people, I guess, and like do it. But what was really illuminating to me, watching it again as an adult, is the, clearly the best part of this film are the songs. And they're still, they totally stand up. I was like, yeah, this is still great. But it literally is a stage musical. Only it's an animated film, and clearly the people who made it wanted to do a stage musical, but they couldn't. And it now is I mean, a stage musical when I was on Broadway. It and like obviously tweeting about it, someone did notify me that there was a stage musical, but apparently it's not good. Right. Apparently they insert like a fucking love triangle or something and just make it less good. So I have like a friend of a friend or something who was working on it or doing some who's doing something. I don't remember the details, but. <laughs> I was getting some updates on this before it actually premiered, and mm -hmm. they took out Rasputin, which I think is fair, because if you actually watch the film, everything Rasputin does happens completely tangentially to the plot. Like, he just kind of yeah. shows up and does something and then vanishes again, and clearly he was put in to make boys happy. 
Like, that is why he's in this movie, is that it's a girly movie. And they were like, I guess we better add some body horror for the boys. Like, okay, sure. <laughs> There's a really freaky scene where he's in the underworld and, like, his head falls inside his own torso. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Yes. You can tell it's, like, Don Bluth has been like, hey, kids. Right. I <laughs> Here's mean, some appropriate material. <laughs> I fucking loved all that stuff as a oh, child. Great. It's amazing. The se- His big song scene... In the dark of the it's night. It's amazing. We it's so good. greatly enjoyed singing in my living room. It's wonderful, but it's fucking weird and it doesn't make any sense. And I get cutting it, but what they did, they replaced it with the Bolsheviks in the musical, which is like, Ooh. no, Ooh. no, Ooh. this is not going to work. This is so transcendently ahistorical. But like, don't try. You can't that. move this into the history zone. No. <laughs> Do not. No, no, no. Um, so that's very disappointing to me because I, if it had been good, I legitimately would have paid money to go to I Anastasia would. musical. Yeah. Because the whole thing is set up that way. The songs are even more like musical theater-y than songs in a lot of the other musicals of that time obviously that's the dna of all those animated movies but this is to the nth degree and it's just really funny watching it like you feel like it's in the wrong form but whatever (laughs) it's just is what it is and i kept thinking like despite all the voice work being really great and it still being a great experience and of course the children aren't going to be like the animation of this is bad like i certainly did not at the age of seven this is the only animated film that i would genuinely support a live action adaptation of which fox will never do because it's not disney which is the one doing these but if they did a good adaptation that was actually an adaptation and not just a recreation of every single shot of the film it could be really fun because the dna of it is really solid. You could cut the Rasputin stuff, even though I find it really fun in the animated movie. It wouldn't work in a live action thing, obviously. And like the music is so good, you could do amazing costumes. I mean, like, it's literally this movie is a remake, right? Because it's right. like Fox was like, we need to have something that seems like a Disney princess movie. What do we have in like the Fox Studio archive? And they'd already done like two Fox movies before, like in 1930 and 1950 or something. Yeah. Because obviously people are obsessed with the idea that Anastasia survived, which, spoiler alert, she fucking didn't. No. But great conspiracy theory. <laughs> so they were like, let's make this princess movie. I was looking at kind of the making of it, and they were like, there was a period when they were sincerely going to do like a really historical one. The directors had someone research all this stuff. They spoke to a guy who like worked for the CIA, knew all this information about like Russian history. <laughs> like, and they ended up with like some fucking dark script about Bolsheviks and stuff. And it's like, you can't do that. We're just going to have like a cartoon bat. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously I love that kind of stuff where it's like, where filmmakers kind of try, just try really hard to be like researchy. Like the Hannibal TV show had FBI consultants. They would ask them a question and then they'd be like, here's the factual thing. And they just fired him after like two weeks. So it's like, we just don't want to make it up. <laughs> There's no point. Like, no, <laughs> I mean, in this film, the Russian Revolution happens because Rasputin gets mad and then all the good noble people have to run away and it's very yeah. sad. And, then and they Anastasia's don't like seven anymore. when it happens. Sure. And she was like a teenager in real life. Yeah. So it was like, they've just made some stuff up and it's fine. <laughs> I mean, so the last time I saw this movie, I believe, 
I was a freshman in high school. And the reason we watched it was that we did European history that year. And one of my best friends had never seen this film. And our European history class, I am making quotation marks with my hands. <laughs> so the first half of the year, we had a normal history class. And then my teacher had a baby and left. And we got as our replacement this old man whose name I will not say publicly, even though he is almost certainly dead, who was a Vietnam vet and I think had Parkinson's. And we spent the third quarter of the year on the Russian Revolution, which, I mean, I guess technically falls within the scope of this, but, like, no. And the fourth quarter of the year on the Vietnam War, which definitely doesn't. I mean... I mean, on the bright side, you learned about the Vietnam War, which a lot of people don't. Yeah, and then we did it again the next year in American history. Like, I mean, the Vietnam War is very important, but we basically just didn't learn the second half of European history because of this situation he also could not teach it was just a really unfortunate situation there's a lot of world war ii movies yeah the whole thing was really bleak and he was clearly you know had some problems from his experiences but we just spent forever on the russian revolution and i read this book um called nicholas and alexandra by robert k massey which is a quite big famous history book about the romanovs which is really, really good, and if anyone is sincerely interested in this topic, I would recommend it. It's really fun and readable, but also like a real history book. And I was really into this and would like leave it on my desk to like show that I was reading it. Not consciously, but that's clearly why I was doing it. And this other guy in my class, who I later became friends with, was driven crazy by this. He was like, you're just showing up. I was like, no, I'm not. And we were <laughs> both just horrible, because we were 15 probably by this point. But... My friends and I all got really into this because it was all we were fucking doing for like three months. And of course, it's like fascinating history. This was also the year that the Ra Ra Rasputin song came out by I don't remember what band. Pony M. Yes. <laughs> so there was just a lot going on. And my friend had never seen this film. She was in this class with me. And I was like, you have to see Anastasia. It's so amazing. Like, this is not history, but it's just such a great film. And so I slept over at her house and we watched this movie and she was just like what the fuck like what the fuck is this like what is going on and i was like no you don't get it like it's not trying to be real and she just could not do it she could not get into the film at all because if you try to apply even one single fact to this it just there's just nothing you can't do it you have to just accept that it's nonsense. And that it's fine. Like, whatever. So okay. I watched this, obviously, with my family, including my brother, who is A, not a romantic, and B, <laughs> very much a communist. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, like, the, the moment where Rasputin shows up and does his curse, my brother said, I guess this must be the spectre haunting Europe. <laughs> and I was just like, this is, we're not experiencing it this the same level. <laughs> didn't like the music and I was just like crying during the song it's just very embarrassing for me <laughs> oh my god it's just it's just so good I mean also it's all about like nonsense royalty but she decides to give it up in the end for love it's like that's right which apparently in the stage musical is not what happens according to Wikipedia I think if I read correctly it's I mean like, that's nonsense no 
no. The point of this movie is not important royalty. It's the beautiful love hate romance between yeah. The I mean, two leads. literally, just I. It was so obvious watching this why everyone had their little crush on John Cusack playing Dimitri. Yes, right. He's not like a perfect Disney princess. He's kind of a shithole at the beginning. You know, he's charming and he's a cool con artist, but like, really, he has a heart of gold. And then, like, he's won over by the power of love at the end. And he's got that cool floppy hair. And most importantly, halfway through, I was like fucking cracking up for reasons that no one in that room would have been able to understand. Because I noticed he's wearing like a Henley shirt, which, if you are familiar with the world of fan fiction, <laughs> predominantly by millennial women, Every fucking guy in fanfiction wears Henley shirts. If, unless it's literally in space, in which case there's still a possibility that right. men will be wearing Henley shirts, which is something that the makers of Teen Wolf somehow tapped into because all of the guys in that show wear Henley shirts. But in this, you've got the trifecta of him wearing a Henley shirt and then a button-down shirt with the collar unbuttoned and his sleeves rolled up and then also a like, vest waistcoat over the top. And I was just like, is this a chicken or egg situation where people imprinted on this in the 90s? Or is it such a quintessential cute boy look that they've just, like, nailed it perfectly? Because I was watching it like, my god, they've really got it! <laughs> it's totally true. I also realized watching this, so we watched The Road to El Dorado in Spain over the summer. Yeah. High culture. I realized that he is playing, like, Dimitri in this film is literally the same character as Tulio in The Road to El Dorado, <laughs> except Tulio, played by Kevin Klein, is a neurotic. And so feels more like a real person. But legitimately, they are the same. The voice sounds the same. All the mannerisms are the same. There is a moment where he, Dimitri and uh, the other Russian guy, his name I'm forgetting, walk down the stairs away from Anastasia at the beginning where they're kind of offering the con to her. And the other Russian guy is saying, like, you didn't do enough. And he's like, no, no, she's going to come. And he's like, holds up his fingers, says one, two, three, because he knows she's going to. And there's literally the same moment in the road to El Dorado. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, they just copied this, except then, like, made it better. And obviously the romantic interest in that is, I mean, there is a woman who's the romantic interest, but structurally the romantic interest is. Miguel. And I was just like, this is amazing. Like, it's incredible. It's the same. I do not think I'm being a conspiracy theorist. It's too similar. And obviously, I mean, the overlap between studio employees will be high. Exactly. They're all watching the same movies. They're all working on the same movies. There aren't that many people doing animation in this extremely short span of time. It came out a few years later. And I just cracked up. As soon as I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. And then I watched the entire film just like dying <laughs> i was like oh my god <laughs> this is too good <laughs> but uh yeah it's great yeah and like as well as the kind of cute boy factor for dimitri anastasia herself is just so great i was really happy when she showed up and she has the sort of it's not short hair her hair length is very ambiguous throughout this film <laughs> but her hair looks short at the beginning <laughs> um and she's wearing like this giant oversized coat and I just love that. I was like, I have to replicate this outfit at home. Like, it's such a good look. And it is so different from, you know, the classic Disney princesses, even though obviously she does end the film in a ball gown at a party because it's kind of mandatory. And it's, you know, they've got some nice 19, 1920s looks as well. But she really does feel a lot more like the kind of modern Disney princess characters. Because um, I know that, like, 
Morgan, you're a huge lifelong Disney princess, Dan. But um, a lot of the <laughs> earlier films, <laughs> they are, you know, they are kind of classically quite passive. And then there's kind of the point in the 90s where they're like, okay, we're going to just do some like girl power princesses, which is Pocahontas and Mulan, which were my faves as a kid. Yes. Um, but in this one, it really is like a proper rom-com vibe in like a bit of a different way than like the Disney films and they cast rom-com leads as the leads you know Meg Ryan is voicing Anastasia and it works really well in that context yeah well I think comparing it to a rom-com because that is literally what it is yeah it's literally a rom-com yeah is and this is why all the little girls were obsessed with it right because the other Disney I mean this isn't a Disney film which I think is an important distinction because the Disney films are all kind of set up in a particular way. Not that they're all the same, but they were all being made by the same people, of course, and this was different. Probably the one that's closest to a rom-com is Aladdin, which has some of the same, like, some rom-com tropes of, like, people bumping into each other in a strange location, and then, you know, it's taboo, and they don't like each other at first, like, whatever. Um, But there's also a lot of other stuff going on there that's not doesn't fit into that mold at all. Um, whereas Anastasia, aside from the weird Rasputin side plot that's just there for no reason, it all fits into that. And I was thinking, watching it this time, of two movies. One of which is It Happened One Night with Clark Gable and Claudette Col- Colbert, which I think they must have been thinking of making this because that is a film it was like the first considered like the first real romantic comedy like there were other movies before that that okay i need to see that yeah but this is the one that really sort of created the modern rom-com it came out in 1934 it was just before the Hayes code was um, implemented and so there are a couple things that wouldn't have gotten through the code and i do not love it actually but i would recommend people seeing it because it's really interesting and there are things about it that are really great but just like from a historical perspective, it's really important and fascinating, and it's totally watchable and like fun. But Claudette Colbert is this rich heiress, and she's married this guy, or is going to marry this guy, and she like runs away at the last moment. She literally jumps off a boat into the river, and then she vanishes. And I can't remember whether Clark Gable specifically goes off to try to find her. Or whether he just accidentally stumbles upon her and he's, of course, a journalist. And then is like, oh shit, this is going to be a great story. And like calls up his, you know, editor in New York. They're in the middle of nowhere in like North Carolina or something. I don't remember. And then they're traveling and he says, I'm going to get you back to your people or whatever. And they have to pretend to be married. And like it's this whole, it's like literally all tropes come from this film, right? And he's going to get this big reward if he gets her to her dad because her dad's freaking out about where she is and she has this like weird like doesn't want to marry this guy anymore but it's never really explained what the deal is because it's made in 1934 and they hadn't quite figured everything out yet but of course spoiler alert he then like doesn't take the money at the end and she thinks that he has and is like really mad about it because it turns out he doesn't actually love her and like so much of it it works every time (laughs) yes And um, the other one I was thinking of was this movie, uh, Ninochka, with Greta Garbo and Melon Douglas, which was made in 1940, I think, and takes place in Paris. And 
he is playing this guy who has clearly like a sexual relationship with this exiled Russian countess and probably some other women. He's he's a loose man, shall we say. And Greta Garbo plays a uh, Russian or Soviet attache who is sent to retrieve these jewels that like this woman thinks belong to her because they used to be hers. And she's incredibly like Soviet and she doesn't ever smile. And he's like, no, you should be in love with me because I'm like a charming, sexy man. And there are all of these jokes about Soviet Russia that 10 years after would never have gotten through because of like the communist panic. And, um, it's just wild. The whole film is absolutely hysterical. That movie is great. I highly recommend it. It's so much fun. Um, but there are elements of both of those movies in Anastasia in a way that they aren't exactly explicitly referenced, but I think that they probably, especially it happened one night, which is all over it. I think we're probably informed by them. And um, well, like the first Anastasia movie was made in 1928 and it yeah. was like a very similar plot to this yeah. one it was about an like a russian actress who comes to hollywood and plays like a maybe even plays like a princess role and then they like figure out it's her kind of thing yeah i mean people have loved this story yeah for a long time throughout the 20th century there were like 10 different women who claimed to be anastasia but there's a really famous one named anna anderson who basically spent her whole life being like i'm anastasia and it's really not clear whether she was a con artist or whether she really believed it i think she probably did really believe it but they they wound up kind of DNA testing her remains which is a bit dubious um, but you know she wasn't. Yes. Her father was like a missing Polish factory worker or something uh, and they also DNA tested the remains from the Romanov family's bodies in a mass grave. Like it's all, like this never would have happened if not for all the conspiracy theories but because those existed they wound up exhuming a bunch of bodies and being like no they really were all there so. Yeah I mean they were all shot to death in a basement. Like, yeah. that happened. I don't really know why she specifically was the one that everyone got obsessed with. I think with. there were, like, two sisters, and it was not clear whether they were both in the room or something like yeah. that. You know, they didn't know which one of them had been killed, and she yeah. was a fun princess that people knew her personality yeah. and stuff. And, I mean, obviously the reason that this generally became a thing is that the communists were bad. So... Gotta gotta love those. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't end well. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, the American like fetish of this as the Soviets became increasingly the bad guy makes a lot of sense. Um but it is fascinating the extent to which it became an obsessive thing for so many people. Although this movie in particular doesn't engage with anything. It's literally just like, well, this is an excuse to make this silly film. I mean, lies. (laughs) Yes, I agree. After I saw it, I definitely remember reading some historical novel for children about Anastasia that I don't think really went into her horrible death, but definitely was not. Like, it wasn't a conspiracy theory thing. It didn't do that. But I just think was spared the like nine year olds all the like grim details of what actually wound up happening. But um, I definitely do remember being like, "Well, this is very different." 
I don't know. And also literally like Rasputin, who I think as a child, I think I thought Rasputin was like 300 years earlier than he was. <laughs> because he look. I mean, he looks, you know, because he's got the long beard and stuff. Yeah. He doesn't look like he belongs in 1915. Yes. But obviously it's just the same story as Gwyneth Paltrow. You know, it's just someone who's like, oh, I've got some really great remedies for you, rich people. Well, he was a terrifying man. I mean, the photos of him, you really get. Yeah. I mean, he was he was a cult leader, but yeah. in terms of what he was doing for the royal family, it was mostly the kind of classic siphoning off power from a rich person because you're a cult leader. And he was literally just treating children for hemophilia incompetently. Yes. You know? Yes. He wasn't really doing any sexy rituals. He was just being like, oh, your kids have got congenital defects. We can't help with that, but I'm a monk. Right. But the relationship he had with Alexandra was definitely like, oh, it was real bad. And then they, like, people tried to kill him many times and he just would not die, which is really weird. My brother was telling me that the really famous assassination attempt was literally just because they were super incompetent. So there's all these anecdotes about, like, oh, yeah, he survived being, you know, poisoned and stabbed 85 times. And apparently it was a combination of they were just incredibly poor assassins and he was so drunk that he didn't notice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there always, there's always an explanation for these things. <laughs> But, I mean, also, sometimes you can just stab people and it's like, you just miss the good part. Yeah. Like, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. But yeah, he was he was a strange character. Probably didn't have a talking bat. No, sadly. I love the talking bat. I love his weird accent. Like, what is going on? I think- I, When I was watching, I was like, because it's a combination of New York and Russian. Yes. <laughs> And it's doing that classic animated movie thing where, like, some of the characters have American accents and a few of them are Russian, which is what they have in How to Train Your Dragon, where the Vikings are American when they're kids, and then when they become adults, they get Scottish accents. And I'm wondering if the whole cast of main characters are going to have Scottish accents when they reach adulthood in the next movie. Well, I love that Kelsey Grammer in this does a Russian accent, and then the others just don't. It's just like, sure. That's yeah. fine. It's like the girl with the dragon tattoo where yes. David Fincher fucking made everyone be Swedish apart from Daniel Craig, who just couldn't do a Swedish accent, so he's just English. I'm just like, fuck but it. But he's still Swedish. So it's like, why would you do this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> he tried for long and lucky, though. I guess Soderbergh was compelling enough that he was like, yes, I will take this role. One of the greatest performances English. of 2017. I look forward to his Best Supporting Actor Oscar nomination for that one. Oh, yeah. 100%. Playing Mr. Bang or whatever his name was. Joe Bang. Joe Bang. <laughs> I rewatched that recently and it held up. You know what that should get nominated for? This has nothing to do with anything, but we're short this week, and so that's fine. That should get nominated for costumes. The costumes yeah. of that movie are incredible. And they, they fucking rule. They are perfect for conveying like everything about those people. It's like great. It didn't get any recognition from the Costume Designers Guild Awards, which nominated, I think there must have been too many things in the historical drama category, which Newsflash there always is, but they had, um, they nominated I, Tonya in the contemporary category, and it's like, that film takes place between the 70s and the 90s. It is a period drama. Yeah. Sorry. But, you know. No. I'm not going to die on that hill. <laughs> no. But they definitely, whatever they chose, I definitely was like, no, well, good luck. Yeah. Should be here. The main girl's outfits in Logan Lucky are all sublime. Oh my god. Her nails, too, which is not costume 
the hair and makeup, but still, like, ooh, so great. Anyway, so that has nothing to do with Anastasia, but that's just a little preview of our Oscar Oscar discussions to come in the coming months. Next week, however, we will be discussing The Post, a film that hopefully will get nominated for several Oscars because I thought it was absolutely superb. Gaff has not seen it yet, but it's coming out. I haven't. And in fact, I was completely planning to ignore the existence of this film until Morgan informed me that it was good because I was just like, oh, it's another movie about, you know, people in an office and Meryl Streep's in it. So I guess I'm going to find out whatever journalism happens in there. I really, really liked it. I hope you do and aren't just like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Why did you make me see this? I think it's really good. It is out wide in the US right now. And I really urge people to see it. This is not a film I imagine that a lot of the sort of Tumblr people who are listening to us may necessarily be seeking out. Probably a lot of you have a similar perspective to Gav, which is like this is a Spielberg movie about like middle-aged white people doing journalism, but it's genuinely like excellent. I saw it at a sold-out screening in Manhattan, so that's obviously a particular clientele. But... <laughs> Although the people there, it was like a very wide range. There were definitely some sort of like film people like me and then like people's parents. And I mean, it was a pretty like demographically diverse audience, I would say. But in Manhattan. And, but people were literally like applauding Meryl Streep anytime she did like anything. And it was really beautiful. I was like, I love feminism. <laughs> <laughs> in this current cultural moment that we're in, this movie really moved me and I identified with her a lot in a way that I was not expecting at all I just thought it was great and I'm not a huge Spielberg person normally so I was surprised by how much I like it liked it but I thought it was really really good and you should go see it and we will be talking about it next week indeed so thank you as always for listening I hope you enjoyed this trip down memory lane <laughs> Anastasia's on Netflix so if you want to watch it That option is there for you. As ever, if you enjoyed this, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review on iTunes. That's how we find new listeners. And otherwise, you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.